Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Gestalten. My name is Eric Galina, and I'm joined by my colleague, Martin Groschwald. Hello, Martin. Hello, Eric. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well, indeed. So, I just wanted to uh, follow up, I suppose, on uh, the developments off of your trip to LA, what we saw off the back of that. We discussed LA Auto Show pretty much in depth the last time we spoke, but there's been a a few other vehicles that were developed, uh, that were shown rather around that same time. And and of course, the the, uh, Guangzhou Motor Show in China also took place. So um, obviously the, the biggest unveil, I think, in the last week uh, was the Tesla Cybertruck. And there's a whole lot of things to discuss, uh, which I think we should get into um, after we discuss um, what's been going on around the uh, the LA show and the cars that were unveiled leading up to it uh, to begin with. Let's do it. I mean, I'm I'm very excited to have a discussion about the Cybertruck because it's it's been the talk of the town, like, you know, pretty much anywhere in the world. I mean, I had so many discussions about this thing, but uh, let's, let's, let's actually do our day to day business first. And let's actually start with the Guangzhou Motor Show because that, as you mentioned, happened at the same time or only like a day after the, uh, the LA Motor Show. And I think you've, you've mentioned this to me. I, you know, I've only had a look online at some pictures and stuff like that, but you've mentioned to me that you were surprised on some products that were shown over there. So why don't we just start off with that and then, you know, slowly make our way to the Cybertruck discussion, uh, as we go ahead. Well, okay. Yeah, certainly. So, I mean, I think the, the interesting takeaway from, uh, from Guangzhou and I wasn't there, unfortunately. Um, but, is that in terms of the market, uh, China is very much geared towards selling cars. I mean, they're not really showing all that much new stuff. Certainly in Guangzhou, um, it doesn't seem like there were that many new concept vehicles unveiled. But also the typology of vehicle that they're choosing to show. Now, I think headline news um, out of Guangzhou is this concept, uh, the GAC um, ENO or NO, whatever you want to call it, 146, which was basically developed out of, um, of David Hilton's studio over there in, uh, in Guangzhou and, um, some collaboration, of course, with the California studio. So, um, you know, it, it, it's an interesting take. It's a very aerodynamic performance vehicle without a doubt. Um, it's a four door, which, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a big car. It's not necessarily four doors, but, it's a, a big four-passenger uh, vehicle with uh, quite an interesting uh, colorway treatment, if I do say. Um, but uh, anyway, that was pretty much, I think, the headline over there. Now, in, in terms of the the other vehicles that kind of were on show was uh, the Denza BYD um, uh, collaboration with uh, with Daimler that was actually built and designed by Mercedes-Benz's own studios, uh, and that is very interesting. Um, so this, uh, this Denza X, uh, concept, uh, or rather production car rather is, um, is, is similar to, um, the, uh, the, the, um, you know, it's a type, it's a, it's a SUV typology that everybody's talking about. Mm. But then there was also, um, that everyone's uh, clamoring after and, and wanting to get into, uh, you know, that, that market, there's loads of SUVs, of course, in China. Um, but then there was also an, an interesting concept um, that came out that was more of a, a – and this is what I think China does more than any other 
market in the world, it's the people carriers. So mm. there's, you know, the Innovate U7 Ion, which is which is a, a four, uh, you know, a, it's it's a minivan essentially. It's a crossover, but you know, it's a and it's it's luxurious. It's four passenger. Um, so this this vehicle typology, I think, is um, something that's really taken off over there in uh, in China is the the minivan segment and making these luxurious buses. And so uh, Rowey, of course, got in on the action with the Vision M concept. Um, and you know, it's it's a it's a very curious typology for um, you know for the uh, the the Chinese market specifically. And so, of course, Toyota, which is uh, lauded over there, definitely showcased uh, their uh, Toyota Velfire, which is basically a, a very high end uh, luxury minivan. Um, you know, lots of uh, leather and all the rest. Typical luxury appointments within that. It's it's interesting because the first thing I read about this Toyota thing was the price, which is a hundred fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> Can you imagine buying a Toyota for a hundred fifty thousand um, <laughs> dollars? Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm not so sure about that either. Uh, if I you know just interpret your laugh in the right way, um, the you know these kind of minivans, MPVs, uh, whatever you want to call them nowadays, they're becoming more and more important i think not just in china but on a global on a global scale because for you know city movement they're becoming more and more important um we've seen that it's not a surprise that you know one of those uh one of those cars is coming out of japan from a from a from a japanese company such as toyota toyota had these little concepts for quite some time they're doing them very well on the k car level so they know how to use their space um, to to a very you know good degree of 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 comfort uh, that they have available, so it doesn't come as a surprise that it comes from Toyota. Um, it comes a little bit as a surprise that Toyota is going into this more like luxury market for it. I would have expected this maybe a little bit more from a Mercedes, you know, like a like a Sprinter version uh, that is going towards that kind of direction of you know high end luxury, um, maybe from. You know, from companies such as then uh, Hongxi from the Chinese side that have a little bit of a history in those kind of luxury segments. So it does come as a surprise that Toyota is moving into that kind of direction. Uh, but I would say a more like a, a pleasant surprise because, you know, I've, I would say the Japanese have, have always had a good feeling of what is, what is the right customer group for their products. Mm. And so if, if, if they have, that feeling and that, that kind of direction with uh, with China as well, they will certainly be doing all right. It's obviously not. I mean, from the exterior perspective, it's nothing special. It's quite boxy. Mm. Uh, the front is very busy. Yeah, if you look at it, um, it still is very much a Toyota. That's that's obviously something that we we will recognize. But from a pure design perspective, and I think they showed a black car as well. So black is always sometimes a bit difficult to really see the lines and the shapes, especially on, on pictures, but it's not a car that's going to stand out just because it's a, a beautiful or like an, you know, extravagant, uh, design or something like that. So, uh, you know, interesting that Toyota goes into that kind of price category. I did not expect that, hmm. but uh, certainly the right move when it comes to the MPVs. And, you know, that's being confirmed, obviously, with Rory um, going into the same direction with the concept. So these MPVs are 
one of one of the most important kind of directions that the japanese and uh you know for the chinese market let's put it that way mm -hmm. toyota as an example are going into at the moment yes well clearly toyota's got a lot more brand recognition it would appear uh in um in china and more so than lexus because why not just throw a lexus badge on that but um anyway there was yeah uh, it's it's very interesting to see the differences in in the the different markets so anyway, but other than that, there wasn't really a lot of uh, headline news coming out of China. There's been, you know, the, the Hongxi SUV that we saw in Frankfurt. There was a lot of concept cars that we did see in Frankfurt unveiled uh, that also made an appearance over there. Of course, Gangju is growing in importance, gaining in importance quite considerably. Um, and so but it's very much a, you know, come here to buy uh, motor show, I believe, um, you know, more so than any other. And that's pretty much the way that it is in China, which kind of explains why um, Aston Martin actually showed the DBX in Guangzhou rather than in LA, which is surprises the hell out of me that well, way. Well, yes and no. I mean, uh, you know, China is, is one of the biggest markets for Aston. Uh, and uh, like, you know, I think China and the US are combined 90% of, uh, or like, you know, 85% or like something like that, uh, is, is the market for Aston's and that includes uh, Japan, I think as well. So, uh, it doesn't necessarily come as a surprise that they present the car over there. Um, I don't, I don't know if this was done actually at the show or if this, because I think actually the presentation was done in Beijing and then they showed mm. the car over in Guangzhou as well. So, uh, that's always a bit strange, but in 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 general, obviously they're hoping to to sell the majority of the cars over in China. Yeah, I mean the money of is course, definitely of there. Course. Yeah, of course. No, I'm not. I'm not arguing that. I mean, China is the most important market in the world, but I don't understand why. You know, uh, they're trying to sell. Uh, Aston Martin's trying to shift quite a lot of these, and they they need to really because of the state of the company at the moment. They've invested a lot in other areas. Um, and they need to recoup some money. I'm not, you know, I'm not arguing with the the fact that they did show it over there, but I'm saying why not show it in LA as well? Um, it's like you know, you have multiple cars, you have a huge, um, you know, customer base in the US. Um, LA is the market for that vehicle if there ever was one. Um, and uh, yeah, so it just it questions. It makes me question the fact that they you know, marketing department wouldn't want to push for that. Might also be simply a money question. Yeah, I mean, mm. uh, you know, they're, they're spending a lot of money of shipping these cars around, uh, these, these cars around to to their dealerships. It might just be that they're saying, like, you know, maybe it's easier for us just to do an event with a dealer rather than just go to another motor show. Um, mm. That you know, we, we don't know what the financial situation is at Aston at the moment. If it makes sense for them to present it at the motor show, uh, it certainly makes sense in an area such as China, LA. Maybe private events are more lucrative. Yeah, where you get like more signups for the cars. We obviously don't know that, but that's the reason that I could understand the you know yes. how, why they acted the way they did. Uh, but what I actually that's wanted a very very interesting point. I mean, you know, we all know how much motor show stands cost nowadays, and it's not cheap. Yeah, exactly. And you know, for for a car in that kind of category, I mean, we spoke about this last in the last episode with uh, when we talked about the LA motor show we're talking a car that is 200 grand plus yeah in in almost right. any currency that we can we can think of and yep. uh, you know i think in the american market these kind of private events 
have become the normality, especially if you have that kind of money. It almost seems like you don't want to share the platform with potential other companies that could take your customers away. So you keep them in your, you know, in your in your garden pretty much. Whereas mm. in China, I think it works a little bit differently. Um, you know, maybe maybe that's just my kind of interpretation of that. But it seems to me that especially in the American market or like in, in the Western market, in categories that this car sells, these kind of mm. personal events and touch points with the customer directly uh, are much more important. Oh, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So following on, I think, from uh, from the Aston is something that definitely appears to reference the Aston in some regard. Um, and that would be the Ferrari Roma, uh, which was unveiled just before the um, the LA show. And it's uh, the only reason I say that is because it's it's a quintessential GT. It's not something that we've seen really from Ferrari before. I mean, it's it's definitely very elegant, but it has a lot of undertones that would perhaps be uh, compared to and on par with um, some of the Aston GTs that we've seen, you know, Vantage and the like. Um, I think this is, a, a, a again, a very elegant vehicle. Um, it's the entry-level Ferrari is what they're saying. Um, I don't know how many they're planning to shift, but it's certainly far more accessible um, than other uh, vehicles within the range. But it's um, to me, this car was significant because it shows the massive amount of investment and time and money and um, really just moving into the direction of interiors more than anything. I mean, we know that they can do um, beautiful, beautifully surfaced uh, exterior designs. We know that, you know, there's there's certain elements on the exterior that are, you know, obviously open to debate. But mm. um, overall, I think the interior is probably the aspect to me that shows the more the most um, forward progression for the the Ferrari brand. What's your take? Um, let's actually, uh, what I want to start off with is the exterior and then move towards a little bit the interior because um, mm. what, you've, what you've just mentioned is like, you know, the entry level Ferrari. And what you can see here is I think, you know, uh, because you mentioned Aston as well, Aston tried to move into the territory of Ferrari, and now actually Ferrari is trying to move into the territory of uh, Aston Martin. So, you know what what Aston was always known for this kind of beauty, the simple, the simple beauty, um, you know, of a of a DB5, DB6, DB4, you know, moving all the way into an, an early vantage is something that they have lost a little bit, and Ferrari is now trying from an exterior perspective to take that on. Um, I think you could you could even say this is the better new vantage. Uh, I think Aston should have gone more towards that kind of direction. If you see the side view, um, there's clearly some kind of um, inspiration from an AMG GT as well, uh, especially towards the rear. If you look into like just the, the, the side pictures of it, and I think if this is the entry level Ferrari, and I, this is for me the interesting thing. Uh, this is probably, in terms of simplicity, in terms of beauty, one of the best Ferraris that they have done. I mean, I'm a big fan of the SP1 and SP2, um, but this is a very, you know, easy to like car in that sense. It might not be as progressive or as, you know, pushing forward as other Ferraris have been, but this is definitely a car that we will, I think, see on the streets quite a lot. 
when it comes to supercars uh, or like, you know, these kind of, uh, you know, called it. Yeah, I think supercars is probably the best word for it. Um, also, mm. what I want to say, what I always find interesting with Ferrari is they they have perfected the idea on how to use a platform. You know, it's, you know, they're doing so many cars on the same platform. They only do smaller tweaks and the design is becoming such an important factor to them that I would like to say it's, it's, it's really impressive how they do it and, you know, how, how they understand the engineering and how important design has become for them over the past few years with, uh, with Flavio Manzoni at the helm. So that's, that's a very interesting development and I hope they will continue moving that forward. Now, when it comes to the interior, because you've mentioned this, um, it's, it's for Ferrari, it's still very progressive, but they have not gone over the top with anything here. I mean, obviously they have a little bit of a touchscreen in there. You know, the steering wheel is still pretty much the same. Uh, it's become a little bit, I would say clearer. Um, it's become a little bit kind of easier to look at. It's not as busy anymore. It seems much more, it's almost like, you know, they tidied up the whole thing a little bit. Um, but, you know, especially for that kind of entry level car, I think that's a very, very good direction to move into. What I think is progressive in terms of the Ferrari thinking is they're now thinking about the passenger. Uh, Ferrari obviously used to be a lot about the driver and now the little passenger, you know, has, I, th- I don't know if it's a touch screen or if it's just a screen where they can look into little things, but the passenger has an interactive device nowadays uh, in, in, in the Roma, which is, I think, a first for the Ferrari. I'm not 100% sure, but it's definitely taking it into a new level for Ferrari when it comes to interaction with not just the driver, but also with the, with the passenger. And that's that's going to be interesting to see how this will going to be worked out for future models as well. If this is going to if they're going to have a range of, uh, you know, like driver's car, but maybe with people together. Uh, if this is already an early indication for the upcoming SUV that they're developing at the moment, so that's going to be interesting to see what this interior of the Roma will show us in the future or in what kind of indication it will give us for the future because it could have a very big impact and a very big you know directional move forward for the upcoming suv yeah quite all right good so um let's move on to some other vehicles that were shown as well um just briefly mention i suppose um, some cars, uh, well, uh, you know, another kind of opposite side of the coin. I mean, you did mention uh, Ferrari's SP1 and SP2. Uh, McLaren kind of came out with their own version of that um, with the McLaren Elva. Um, and, uh, I mean, you know, this is a, a very limited um, edition vehicle again, but it's a, you know, open cockpit, two-seat roadster, um, obviously, Formula One expired, you know, uh, uh, inspired rather, and it's it's um, it's a performance car. It's it's a track toy. It's something that's going to be um, good in terms of you know people that want to have um, this exhilarating open air experience. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it like you said before, it's like there's so many companies that are moving into uh, the the supercar space and McLaren obviously is one of the supercar um, you know mainstays right um, but McLaren also just did a GT so all of these companies are looking that they're into the fact that they need to diversify their product range so Ferrari moving into the more GT space not that they haven't lived there before 
but um, is 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 you know uh, something that needs to happen, I suppose, in terms of you know just getting the numbers out. It's not about um, you know having one being a one trick pony anymore. It's more about uh, you know putting out a lot of different models now. This, you know, Elva. I mean, you know, it's okay. It's uh, it's certainly uh, on on uh, on brand. I mean, there's no arguing that. Um, and it, it it does reference history as well. I kind of like it. I mean, you know, it's a uh, it's a two seat open air with a lot of uh, iconic now uh, very um, identifiable, shall we say, um, McLaren elements in the front face and the rear end and the body side. I mean, there's so many different. Um, bits that uh, really are immediate identifiers, uh, but also it references history quite a bit. So I find it interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, this is part, I think, to to mention a part of the Ultimate Series uh, for McLaren. So this it goes into the same direction as a P1, as a Senna. Mm. And, and the speed tail as well, isn't that? The Ultimate Series. I, 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 well, I think, I think that's part of it as well. Uh, but it also shows a little bit of the problem, yeah, <laughs> uh, of the of the entire kind of McLaren series that's happening at the moment. It's almost becoming too many products at a very short amount of time. Mm. So I remember when McLaren announced that they were aiming for thirteen new products in seven years or something like that, and it seems everything to me personally a bit rushed at the moment. You know, uh, things that Ferrari have done extremely well compared to. I think what's now happening at McLaren is that the cars that they have shown have always been fundamentally different. And I think Ferrari never had a clear design language to say like, oh, you know, this is clearly a Ferrari. There was always some really interesting flexibility in Mm. that historically as well. Now, McLaren is slowly running a little bit into this problem is like, what, what is the the, the McLaren design language. I mean, they've tried a lot with lights. Um, if I look at the Elva front, yeah, it does remind me a bit of a 720, but it's again a different car. So I, I have not yet understood what the design philosophy of McLaren is. The only thing that I understand, it seems much more engineering based and then the design comes after um rather what ferrari is doing is that you look this is the platform and we're using that for as many products as possible but go crazy on the design and try to diversify as much as uh, as you can so um, i'm i'm kind of missing a little bit the identity about this thing i mean uh, you know the question i would ask if it doesn't have the mclaren badge would we consider it a mclaren or would it be something else you know, or could it be anything else? Pretty much, it's it's certainly not a, a, a you know a bad looking car, but it doesn't have that identity for me, and that's that's what I'm missing a little bit at the moment with uh, with the kind of where McLaren is going. Is what 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 is your identity going to be uh, with with all these cars? I know from an engineering perspective and from a performance perspective, um, they're absolute world class. But from from a recogn- you know from recognizing the whole thing, I don't know. Uh, I think if you would ask anybody who, who who maybe has not heard of the name of McLaren before, like you know only vaguely from Formula One, they would probably not you know see this car straight away as a McLaren. There's not this kind of identifying factor to it. That's a little bit my take on the on the Elva. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I disagree. I think that the front and definitely like speed tail referencing in terms of the uh, the, DL- the DRG. Um, but I mean, it doesn't all need to be cookie cutter, you know, I mean, there are certain things that speak to 
the brand, certainly in the lighting, in my opinion. Um, perhaps not so much in terms of the surface treatment. Perhaps that's more dictated by aero and the like. Um, you know, th- but I think that they do, they have established some sort of design identity, but it's, um, uh, yeah, perhaps a bit more fragmented than in other areas. Um, I mean, if you look at the Ferrari, it's also kind of a break. It's very clean, um, but it's not really what they've been doing until recently. It's kind of a, a turn back into what Penn and Farina used to do. And indeed, mm-hmm. you know, what was really pleasing about the cars from the 60s and all of that. Um, I think in the way that they treat surfacing, for example, is incredible. Um, it's it's very um, honed, you know, it's super tailored, very finessed, right? And uh, so extremely, again, elegant is the word that I like to use to define that. Um, and I agree. I, I 100% agree. I mean, that's why I mentioned, like, I know historically Ferrari never had only one direction. You know, mm, there was right, always right. a certain kind of uh, a difference to every single car that they have been they have done in the past. So for me, you know, that's where Ferrari is a little bit of the standout. That's why I'm from from just an historic perspective, I was never really angry that they changed things up because they always have done that. Mm. You know, um other than Lamborghini, for example, that there was always a certain style to them. But um, I, I just think that McLaren is, is is a tiny little bit lost at the moment, just like, okay, which kind of direction do we want to move into? This B-tail was quite elegant. The Elva is quite elegant. Uh, but then on the other hand, you have a Senna, which is just horrendous. And there's so much going on there. It's, not, it's, uh, just, okay. not, it's just not a great car. So <laughs> you have these differences. Um where I, I don't necessarily see like the common factor, right. you know, and yeah. if, 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 if the speed tail is not part of the ultimate series, okay, there's a connection there, but why do you not make the connection in a different kind of way? So I don't know, there's, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to say, you know, I'm not saying it's, it's a bad looking car. I mean, if you, if you see it from the front, I don't like the rear, uh, that looks a little bit more like a Bugatti. Um, you know, this is just not that well done, but the side view is really nice. The front is clean. Um, but it's just for me, that kind of point where I'm saying like, where do you want to go with this? You know, because there's so many more cars coming from this entire McLaren, uh, family that they're building at the moment mm. is, are we going to go extreme again? Are we going to go soft again? Or like, you know, what, what is it that you want to do? And, um, I, you know, the kind of point for me, why I'm saying this, this is a very present picture in my mind at the moment. I was in, when I was in LA, I went to the Peters museum and we, we, uh, we went to the vault, which is their storage unit slash, you know, uh, underground museum that they have there. And they had a, um, uh, a 720, a, uh, a P1 and a Senna right next to each other. Mm. And, you know, when you look at these kind of cars, you just like, Hey, the Senna is so different from the P1 and the 720 again is different from the, uh, from the P1 and the Senna as well. Is that, okay. So do you want to do, always individual cars. So like, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. Or do you want to have a family of cars with some kind of recognition? I'm okay with that as well. But at the moment it seems somewhere in the middle and the somewhere in the middle does, does not necessarily work. Um, 
there should be some kind of direction. Even if they say, look, our ultimate series is, you know, we, we just do what the best kind of thing that we can do, but there's no connection. And for the super series or whether they're called, we're going to have a, a family of cars. Like that's mm. what I would love to see and to hear a little bit. But uh, again, you know, it's, it's sometimes the problem is like when you see too many of these cars in a very short amount of time, you get these feelings <laughs> uh, yeah. quite, uh, quite in, you know, intensely. Well, it, it's it's quite possible. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time, more time on this, but that they're still trying to develop that. I mean, I think, you know, from an identity perspective, there's still a very different, distinct quality about a sports series, a super series, and an ultimate series. And each of those lines within McLaren um, mm-hmm. is represented differently, but also, um, you know, does... Uh, represent the brand in the you know in a different way, but in, in represent the brand. Um, but I you know I saw uh, <laughs> I saw a Senna on on the road here in London <laughs> in like last week or whatever. It was ridiculous seeing something like that. You know a an ultimate series McLaren you know race car essentially um, driving around. I, I forget where it was, but. In, may have been down like near Knightsbridge, Kensington. Anyway, ridiculous to see something like that on the road, but cool nonetheless. And I agree, mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan myself. But moving into something else that I think a lot of people that will be um, uh, approve of the, the Senna's uh, direction and design, I should say, is um, people that are gamers. And so that kind of moves us into the uh, the the new Lamborghini that was uh, revealed that specifically for you know the gamers. Um, so let's let's talk about that. Why don't you kick that one off for us? Uh, I'm one of these gamers. I love playing Gran Turismo, and uh, you know when when Lambo came. You know, came knocking on the door pretty much and saying like, "Hey, we're doing we're doing this uh, this Gran Turismo show car." I was like, "Oh, this this sounds interesting," um, and it is a Lamborghini. I mean, you know, a lot of these Gran Turismo cars are not necessarily cars of the brand. It is more an exercise for the designers to say like, "Look, this is what we think you know should be a new." you know, brand car or whatever like that. Um, we've seen that with Jaguar, they've done a Gran Turismo car quite recently that they've, they, they stuck very much to the brand mm. and Lamborghini is doing that as well. So it is first and foremost, a Lamborghini, it is a, a you know, super aggressive in the way it looks. Uh, it's extremely, you know, racing oriented. Um, it's probably a car. If this would be real, you would say like, oh, it will go for a certain uh, customer group, put it that way, mm-hmm. in a positive or like, you know, in, in a non-judging way. And so it is not a surprise, but it is extremely extreme. Uh, and it sounds silly when I say this, but it's extremely edgy. There's, uh, you know, almost no curvature on, on, on any of the surfaces or very little. Uh, it comes with what we have mainly at the, at the real lights nowadays, these very, um, you know, triangular real lights are now com- becoming front lights again. So it's it's a very geometric car. It's very aggressive. It's a single seater as well. So it's made for racing. It's obviously completely over the top when it comes to any kind of performance uh, that they're mentioning. That's the cool thing about virtual cars. You can just make them over the top and people can believe it because it's only virtually. Um, but it is 
something. I know they've built a um, you know a, a full mock-up for this car, mm-hmm. which unfortunately I have not seen yet. Uh, it was being built by, I think, from what I know, a German company. But uh, it's it's definitely something where I'm saying like. Wow, I mean, this is this thing is absolutely crazy, and I'm I'm very much looking forward to actually having this into the game. I think it's coming out in early early 2020. That they're actually going to be drivable and playable in the game. But uh, you know, it's always these kind of questions: how much how much is that going to you know is is that going to help the brand and stuff like that? But I think for for an, a nice design exercise, these things are pretty cool. Um, okay. I mean, look, it's, 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 it's definitely extreme. There's no, there's no arguing, um, that I certainly won't argue that I I like certain aspects of it where, you know, they're showing through the race car pedigree. So exposed, um, suspension elements, you know, uh, one of my favorite images, um, straight out of the press pack is the car on the moon. Um, you know, and uh, it's like astronauts walking around and stuff. And it's, it's either, you know, a spaceship or it's an insect, right? I mean, there's like, (laughs) there's, there's no, it's, it's, it's really very, um, uh, interesting, super busy as well. But I, I do like, you know, certain elements where, for example, on the front fender and the rear fender, there are kind of two almost separate things because the body is so in, you know, it's like a little capsule that just kind of has wheels attached. Um, there's this graphic, which is basically mimics the front end lighting with these three kind of strips um, that is, again, applied into the rear fender. But I, I would argue that the car, you know, not having seen it in person and only in pictures, there is curvature. There's, you know, some definite, um, you know, volume to these surfaces. Um, even if you look at the front end where it's like seemingly this this flat body panel with like two, you know, um, just with a, uh, a cut in the middle, um, you know, it's it's very curved into both sides. And, you know, obviously the fenders um, front and rear, you know, there's a there's a, an obvious like, um, yeah, there's curvature and there's obvious kind mm-hmm. of volume to these surfaces. Um, so it's it's not, you know, it just it looks strange because it's so extreme, but it's not as extreme, um, you know, as uh, for a gaming car, perhaps. It's cool. I mean, you know, it's, uh, I like the interior aspect of it and everything, but it's very much a video game car. It's not real. Exactly. But it, it shows also, you know, how important these video game cars have become for the entire industry. I mean, this is always this is also a car that will bring new kids into the car design industry. They will say like, "Oh, you know, cool. How is this being done?" And they probably see it for the first time in Gran Turismo, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 just for that, so then you know, for the for the for the future guys and for the future designers, the future modelers to have these little exercises or you know, being drawn into the the car world with something like that through video games because that's pretty much what happened to me is like you know i i started playing video games when i was quite young and like you know need for speed was one of the early ones so you know i've gotten to love the mclaren f1 uh quite a bit quite early on but there is this drawing point to it and i think you know if 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 they do that and obviously with these really you know nice graphics that you can have nowadays if you have these exercises for the design team and bring new people into the industry um 
there's there's always a big achievement there and uh, i'm 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 personally from from my personal background very happy that these things are happening because it also shows that the digital world is uh, you know is becoming you know part of the day-to-day you know lifestyle and that it's okay to have these digital cars you know not everything needs to be on the street like you know extreme things can be in a digital world where they don't harm anyone that's uh, very well put because this thing could definitely harm someone. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, personally, I don't know what it's going to do for, you know, enticing someone into a car design or a modeling career. Uh, what it does is it sells the brand image, you know, putting it into a video game where kids are playing. Um, it definitely is an aspirational move, right? I mean, everyone's going to see that and they're going to want a Lamborghini when they're able to go out and buy one and, you know, maybe they can afford one. Um, and so it, it does that. It serves to build up the brand image. But I don't think it's anything more than a marketing uh, play uh, to get people that, you know, uh, it's been widely reported are generally um, no longer really all that interested in the automobile. Maybe this is something that could potentially, um, you know, get them into thinking, hey, you know, I want to do this. But I don't think it's going to make them want to become designers more than even entertainment guys, you know. Mm. Um you know, maybe they wouldn't want to build video games when they get older. <laughs> but anyway, that's a very interesting thing and a very interesting segue, I think, into our main topic of discussion. Because whilst the Lamborghini is not real, and uh, you know, whilst the Lamborghini is a super sports car, an ultimate series, if I've ever seen one, just by a different brand, <laughs> um, this is this is not real. This is fictional. This could be mm-hmm. a very like you know. Um, you know, avant-garde going crazy, uh, you know, uh, design and it is, but it doesn't have any constraints when it comes to production and manufacturing, getting out on the road and indeed, uh, delivering a message to anyone. So let's move into the main topic, which is the Tesla Cybertruck. And that's the biggest, like you said earlier, just the most, um, you know, divisive uh, vehicle in terms of reception that I've uh, seen pretty much over the in- my entire career um, in the automotive design industry. I don't think there's been anyone um, that has a, you know, a, a, any vehicle that's been shown that's had a more polarizing effect on opinion. So please do kick that one off and then I will chime in myself. <laughs> so this I think must have been the most talked about topic in the car design industry I would include the industrial design industry product design industry over the past you know many years decades if you want to if you want to say so and I I personally think it's being talked about for the wrong reasons. And it shows a little bit of the problem as well in in this kind of discussion that we're having and that we're, you know, listening to it. I mean, you wrote a piece about it already. Um, I have not. I held back a lot. I read a lot of the comments. I learned a lot of, you know, commentary on the whole thing as well. Um, but we will go into that discussion a little bit later, but what I want to say is I absolutely adore this thing. Um, I think it's a big, and I, you know, excuse my language for this one. It's a big F you in, you know, everything that's going on at the moment, everything that is being regarded as standard. Um, I think there is a lot of clever ideas behind it. Um, it's obviously a lot about, 
you know, manufacturing. It's a lot about engineering. But we have to understand this car was made from what we understand from Elon Musk, that it's being, you know, that you can buy it for a relatively cheap amount of money. So they were trying to limit it to the absolute necessities and to the lowest points possible. Um, and I think if they really are capable of selling this car for 40,000 euros uh, or $40,000 uh, as a starting price, then this is an absolute kind of winner just in terms of that kind of pricing. From a design perspective, it is different. And this is what I want to say. I'm, I can understand everybody who tells me like, I don't like this thing. I don't like to look at it. I don't like the style of it and stuff like that. But I also want to say one very important thing. In the job that we're doing, we are talking constantly to people you know who are interested in new opportunities interested in 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 you know finding new opportunities uh, to advance their career or to advance their creativity and almost all of them said oh you know I want to work in a company I want to go somewhere where they do things differently I don't want to go from company A to B because it's just a different brand but the the actual work that they're doing is is uh is is pretty much the same or the cars are pretty much the same and a lot of these people, without putting any names to this and stuff like that, they have now come out and have said, oh, look, I don't like the Tesla Cybertruck. This is complete BS and all these kind of things is where I'm saying like now you have something that is completely different, that is challenging everything that will give you much more legitimacy to change things possibly in your company as well. And you're completely shredding this thing apart. So there is this kind of what I currently see probably the problem of car design is that everybody talks about we want to do some change, but nobody really has the courage to push that. And now you have a company that does that. So I don't know if this criticism is really criticism of the product itself or if that's criticism based on envy because they have not done it before or that you know, other companies have not had the courage to to do a product like that. That's what I would like to put out there. Uh, from my personal perspective, I absolutely love this thing. I've just mentioned this already. It's different. Uh, it, it shows that you can think differently, that you can try to push for something new. Um, I, I want to believe that the engineers over at Tesla have spoken to as many people as possible to actually make this a production car that, you know, it will come this way for passenger safety, you know, pedestrian safety and all these kind of things. Um, we have not really seen any kind of concepts from Tesla. They've already always shown cars that will come to 97, 98% the way they have presented them in the very first, uh, in the very first presentation. So I want to, you know, just, tell everybody like you know this is an effort that we should all applaud now if we like this from a, a sheer aesthetics perspective is a different conversation but the effort that's going behind it is uh, absolutely incredible and having the courage to put something like this out i mean this whole thing set the internet on fire so <laughs> they've they've must have done something right and if it's true that what elon musk says they have two hundred fifty thousand. Uh, pre-orders for this thing, uh, given it only costs a hundred dollars, which is refundable to reserve one of those things. Um, they have certainly done something right, and they have shown that there is a customer group for that out there. 
All right. Well, that is certainly an opinion. Now, uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie. When I first saw this, it took me a couple of days to digest. Now, I did write a piece on form trends about it. Um, and, you know, it's entitled, I want to like it, but I can't. Um, basically, the reason why I said that was not because I should like it and because I, you know, it's because I, you know, the idea of them moving things forward in terms of, you know, pushing out of a very stale industry, um, you know, and in, into creating something, um, you know, that is definitely uh, a two, two finger salute to the rest of the design industry and saying, we're going to progress and we're going to progress this way. Um, I, you know, I definitely admire that. They, they definitely um, had the, you know, the balls really to come out and produce something that no one else is producing. Um, and of course, there are certain elements and certain reasons as to why it is that they've done that. Um, my, I guess my biggest issue is not with the way it looks. Um, you know, it is, it is crude and that is partly, uh, my issue with it, um, is that, you know, it totally undervalues and undermines, uh, the concept of having a design education to begin with. It's like, you know, you can, uh, you don't need to spend 35K at Art Center every year to go out and do something like this. But anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, but that is one part of it. Um, now, you know, Tesla, if you believe that this is going to come out looking the way it does, um, you know, that's that's fine. You're entitled to that opinion. I certainly don't because there's so many different constraints. Like this is a product that is on the road. And yes, it's it's a, a great marketing stunt. And yes, it's definitely very polarizing, which definitely got a hell of a lot of clicks, um, you know, so generated a hell of a lot of interest. But I don't think that you can tell me that something with angular edges like that, that weighs close to 10,000 pounds, if I, you know, we, we do the calculations, um, uh, this is a seven meter long truck, um, you know, with angular surfaces. I mean, you know, they have not considered pedestrian impact or anything like that. I mean, they haven't considered legislation on the m majority of things that they've come out and done. So I don't know, this perhaps is not a concept, but it's definitely a prototype and there are going to be things that have to change because they have to. Now, my biggest issue is not within this vehicle, um, you know, in, in terms of a design sense. There's been loads of people, you know, like uh, um, uh, Richard uh, from from Seymour Powell that wrote a very cool piece. There's been another, you know, people that have dissected this design in depth. What I am looking at, however, is a vehicle that is electric that weighs uh, an insane amount. That is a, a, a huge huge vehicle, right? Uh, that is appealing to millennials, which, um, you know, are narcissistic because, you know, uh, how else are you going to want to drive around in a tank? So I don't, it, it's, it's the message I think that it conveys coming from the brand in which it's coming from, because Tesla has an extremely large following, a cult following really. Um, and, you know, for them, they really, you know, it's a trailblazing company, right? So, They've, they've done the electric car. They've created an infrastructure around it. But it has, in my opinion, it has a certain social responsibility here. And they shouldn't be building a seven meter long vehicle for the apocalypse. It's like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, you know, the American dream has become this dystopian nightmare. I just, I don't, 
if you, but again, you know, it's, it's polarizing because if conversely, when you look at a, a Mach-E, right, from Ford mm-hmm. that was unveiled at the LA Auto Show, you look at that, and I was speaking to someone, you know, besides the badge that's been a huge issue of contention, it doesn't really move things forward from where car design is at the moment. And, you know, I was speaking to someone that said, after they saw the unveil of the, of the Tesla, that um, the Mach E and being shown in uh, you know at the Tesla near the Tesla headquarters at the airport over there in in in, uh, in Hawthorne was akin to bringing a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> you, you can't you can't really argue with that statement. I mean, the Tesla, for God's sake, does look like a tr- uh, a knife, and uh, it can withstand bullets. And I think that's ultimately the the message that I don't like. It's like. You know, why couldn't you do something that was radical but inclusive? It's not all that innovative if you look at what Bertone and Gandini especially was doing in the 60s, you know, in terms of all of those wedge vehicles that came out of Italy during that period. They were very provocative. They certainly blazed the trail. Tesla's just trying to say, hey, we can do that too in this crazy truck thing that's going to like, I don't know, you know, that can – um, withstand sledgehammer blows. Like I don't know. It's like I don't. I don't get it, man. It's like not a very cool <laughs> message. I, I I understand where you're coming from, and I think you have to look at the things a little bit differently from the way I personally see it. Yeah. Um, if you compare this, just you know, on a, on a similar level, I'm not saying it's exactly the same thing, but um, you don't have to reinvent the wheel with everything that you do in that sense. And for Tesla's kind of progression that's happening at the moment is they're just like, okay, so we're kind of establishing the battery with this as well. Um, but if you compare to about 15 years ago, like 10 years ago, like, I don't know exactly how long you know it's ago now, but when Apple came out with the, with the first iPhone, yeah, which only had one button, then the touchscreen and everything in there, this was nothing that was a new technology, nothing that they had invented. You know? So it was something where a lot of people in the beginning, especially with the first iPhone, said like, oh, you know, we don't need this. A lot of people didn't bet on this and all these kind of things. Um, and in the end, it was something where the people said, okay, yeah, let, you know, we, we're ready to adapt that and we're ready to push this forward. Now, why am I saying this? When it comes to Tesla at the moment, is like you know they have established that the 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 battery is a way of transportation that is now widely accepted, especially in California. I mean, I've you know you see so many Teslas driving around there; it's absolutely incredible. Now they're ready for the next step. They're ready to say just like, okay, you all know what it is to drive a battery car nowadays. Now we can disrupt in what we think is, 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 is design. And of course, what you've mentioned is exactly correct. These cars that we have seen, I mean, even the low res, uh, you know, concepts that have been out there, uh, the Gandinis, the Bertonis and all these kind of cars, you know, they have been concepts. Nobody has ever, you know, kind of pushed for something like this to go into production. So they're clearly heavily inspired. Um, by these concepts or by these, uh, you know, by, by, by these concept cars and show cars that have happened, but they are now bringing this kind of concept into a production level. And I, you know, we, we all thought just like, oh, you know, is that the joke? And then this eight little ATV came out as like, oh, you know, this is, this is not a joke. So they're, they're really serious about this. And what I'm saying is 
it speaks for the culture that is going on at the moment. You've you've mentioned it absolutely correctly. Um, you know, this kind of you know apocalyptic car, this kind of feeling about look, I'm, I feel safe. You know, it's bulletproof. I mean, you know, the steel frame and all these kind of exoskeleton, like all these kind of big things. Like you know, whoa, this is crazy. None of this is really new. I mean, you know, DeLorean has done it before. Uh, there have been questions about. What happens if you get into a crash? Like, you know, if it is easily serviceable and all these kind of things, I, I, I do all understand this. But the question is, um, isn't, isn't, isn't this from a cultural perspective exactly what the people want? And it seems like if we take these, these numbers as a little bit of an indication of, you know, pre-orders, it is what the people want. It is the people want to be, want to be separated. They want to feel, secure or they want to feel like you know in a futuristic kind of environment is 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 this maybe a step too far maybe from the progression that we have or like in the situation that we have at the moment yes but we had the same situation when the iphone came out and said it's like oh you know why would we know just need a touchscreen and now everybody has a touchscreen you know we don't even have buttons on most of the phones anymore so i think if we really see what the Tesla is at the moment, it is very extreme at this moment in time. But look, at the same time, this this could have come. And I've had this conversation earlier with someone. You know, we were we were talking about could could this concept or like you know this kind of idea of like you know how this car looks could have come from a different company. And I said yes, it could have, but they don't have the courage to do that. I think if you look into, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting this out there, but you know, don't, don't destroy me for this, but you know, um, if you look into a G wagon from Mercedes, you know, uh, it's a box pretty much Mercedes. If they would have pushed towards that kind of direction could have easily said, we're doing a G wagon pickup, um, that goes into a similar kind of direction. And the people would have said, Oh, you know, it's a, it's a G wagon. Um, it's, it's a G wagon. This, probably would not have been as extreme because, you know, Mercedes and his kind of reputation is a bit more, um, is a bit more conservative, but, you know, Tesla needs to have that kind of extreme as well to stand apart. And they always need to be that step ahead of the competition because they have realized now that with someone like Rivian, and this is the other point, uh, being on the market, you know, and Bollinger or whatever you want to call all these other, you know, all these other, you know, pickup uh, manufacturers, they have pretty much filled the gap for the Tesla pickup. So Tesla had to find a new way of doing things. And I think Rivian um, had a lot to do with that because if Tesla would have done a, a traditional Tesla pickup, the question would have been, hey, maybe the Rivian is cooler. Maybe that's a little bit more producty. So, you know, Tesla had to go into these extreme kind of directions to stand, you know, out of the crowd. And that is what Elon Musk's it's just doing. I mean, he's always done that. Uh, he's done it with technology. Now he's doing it with uh, with design and technology. But it is definitely a standout. And I think if they would not do that, if they would have done a traditional uh, Tesla pickup, the question is, would have they been taken, you know, seriously enough? And in the end, for them, it's always about uh, surviving, you know. And if you look into the tech industry, a lot of these guys have commented on it, like top level CEOs or C levels and stuff like that, and they love it because it's different, you know. It's 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 not only just from the designs, like oh, you know, this looks like a futuristic car or whatever. It's like look, it's different, and a lot of people just want to be different to the norm. 
Yes. I mean, I don't, uh, you know, I don't uh, argue with that. There are a lot of people that have purchased this, people that I thought had, um, you know, better taste, <laughs> if I would say. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so there's a lot of people that I know um, that it, within the design community that absolutely love this. But at the same time, I think the questions that it raises are um, just far more kind of significant in that, um, you know, what does it mean for the future of the automotive industry? And this is something that I, I reference a little bit in my article as well, because, you know, there's going to be people that are looking at uh, Tesla as a leader and they're going to say, oh, this is amazing. Let's come out and do this crazy, like angular, boxy, like vehicle. Um, and it's not going to work, um, you know, and, and people are going to want to jump on that bandwagon, certainly, you know, in China, where it's been known that people are just like, hey, I like the S class, make me an S class. So, you know, and it's, it, I don't think that's going to progress anything anywhere. Um, it's just going to be a lot more of people that are trying to copy something that was initially, you know, um, uh, seen as, as innovative. Um, and then just come crashing down flat on their faces. Now, ag again, there's another thing that you mentioned, an interesting point is that the Rivian uh, or the Altus uh, pickup truck that's going to be coming again from an American company is um, those are pickup trucks that are meant to serve the current pickup truck market. Um, you know, this, though, there was a hell of a lot of uh, comparison that Elon Musk uh, made during the launch of this vehicle to the F-150. Subsequently, um, he showed a video of a Rivian, or a, rather a, a Tesla truck pulling an F-150 up the hill, which was extremely one-sided and total bollocks. Um, um, and, it, you know, there is a video that explains exactly why that could never happen. But um, <laughs> anyway, um, you know, I'm not uh, an engineer, but someone that is an engineer did a, an incredibly incisive video on YouTube, um, you know, showing why uh, that was just unfathomable. Um, but anyway, besides that, if you look at the needs of the pickup truck, um, you know, buyers in the US, they don't need this angular bed, they need access from the side. They need a pass-through like Rivian's provided, for example, things that you are allowed to do and able to do by the sheer you know, uh, layout of the uh, electric platform. Now, I don't think Tesla is making use of that in any way that it you know, could potentially be seen as innovative. The only thing that they've done is create an extremely polarizing vehicle that's garnered a hell of a lot of attention because of its aesthetic. Now, if you look at that aesthetic, again, you reference the, the DeLorean, you, you know, the Lamborghini Countach was a production vehicle that wasn't a concept. Um, a lot of vehicles that um, you know, Gandini made while he was at Bertoni were a concept, yes. Um, and a lot of them had the same aesthetic. I mean, Lancia Stratos, HF, uh, Carabo. I mean, there's loads of vehicles like that, right? But if you look at um, the, 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 the fact that the Countach was production, the DeLorean was production, um, it very, uh, you know, I mean, there was loads of reasons why that company wasn't successful. But at the end of the day, it wasn't. And, you know, it was seen as very radical with the stainless steel body panels and, and et cetera. But those stainless steel body panels are, you know, uh, they, they, they show fingerprints. The dents can't easily be fixed. I mean, this is a car that's going to show its life cycle on its on its body. There's no way that you can repair um, that. If it gets dented, it gets dented because there's no paint. You can't fix mm -hmm. it. You can't fill it. So, 
that's a, the other thing. Now, I see the iPhone argument. Of course, that wasn't universally accepted when it first came out. But ultimately, people did buy into that because, yes, it was an expensive product, but they saw the fact that it did um, make their lives easier. Is this going to make your life easier? No. Is it going to make your life potentially harder if you're the guy um, that you mentioned earlier who's head of design at PepsiCo but lives in Manhattan? Where in the hell is he going to park that thing? I mean, this is a seven-foot <laughs> beast. Like, I don't, you know, imagine driving that around Manhattan. You know, you're sitting at a stoplight in a Tesla pickup truck that's like ready for the cyborgs to invade. I mean, it's, I don't, I just don't understand why they would want to go that route when there is a way that they could have potentially innovative, innovated potentially, you know, also uh, come up with a hell of a lot more practical solutions, utilize the product aesthetic, um, you know, really uh, harnessed the fact that the F-150 and loads of other pickup trucks lie in the type five uh, of the best selling vehicles in the US. What does this also do for in terms of their market appeal in terms of branching out into other segments? Like, look, I fully expect this vehicle to be popular amongst people that are living on the coasts, the uh, people that don't necessarily need a pickup truck, but hey, you know, it's cool to have one and I feel strong and, you know, five foot tall ladies are going to be driving around in this thing. And that's cool. But that's a very small segmented market. Maybe that's what Elon wants to do is broaden it up, but a seven foot pickup truck I don't, I don't really, you know, the, with uh, the weight that is involved in, in carrying around these batteries, I just, I don't see how that is forward progress. Um, uh, you know, certainly if you look at a whole, from a holistic design perspective, something that, um, you know, is going to appeal to millennials, perhaps living on either coast, but not to people that use these trucks as hardcore vehicles for use. Um, in you know farms or on you know construction sites or whatever it's it's a car for a surfer that has a hell of a lot of money that owns a Lamborghini and likes that uh, angular aesthetic and that says hey you know I kind of like the truck because I now I can throw my surfboard in the back or maybe I you know I go camping or I go snowboarding on the weekends or whatever and and yes there is a buyer but imagine a guy tooling around in that car in London or Rome Imagine that car sitting on the streets of Munich. Like, no, there is no mass market appeal to that vehicle at all. Imagine perhaps China, which is now, uh, you know, also uh, there's a, a lot going on in terms of personalization in China. There's a huge tuner market that's developing in, in China as well, which is seen in the U.S., um, I've seen a couple of renderings of that pickup truck because as you've seen in California, a lot of people get into the personalization, make it unique, make it their own. And there's a hell of a lot of crazy, um, you know, pickup trucks out there that have been tuned to, you know, totally just rip a car or, or a house off of its foundations. But I, I, I again, it, it comes back to the brand that this is meant to be representing. Now, it's clear that Elon Musk doesn't give a rat's ass about the, the 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 people about the planet. I mean, this you know, this is just a, a case of coming out with this crazy vehicle that is you know a, a, a showpiece um, and not something that tackles the underlying problems that transportation is facing today. Well, I I think. What you what you have to understand, and there's there's this quote by Steve Jobs, 
that uh, that I personally absolutely adore, and I think he's very right with that. And we we tend to fall back into that, and I've mentioned this before. Sometimes you know, listening to the customers, right? But uh, you know, Steve's job said like we need to develop products that our customers don't know that they want. Yeah, very good point. Yeah. yeah. And this is exactly what the Tesla is, because what we're trying to do at the moment is we're comparing it to stuff that is going on right now, you know, mm. and this kind of, you know, pulling exercise that they had with the F-150 uh, was, of course, absolutely ridiculous and it was unnecessary as well. Um, but it shows that, hey, this is the product that we have uh, right now. And this is a product that you can have in two years time uh, once it gets onto the market. And I think, you know, and again, if we use the pre-order numbers, it's a little bit of an indication. There's clearly a mar- you know, a market for something like that. And I'm pretty sure that Tesla will be able to sell these things. Now, is this going to be a mass market thing? Will it have a cultural impact? Of course. Yeah. But is it going to sell like, you know, an F-150, like, you know, a million cars a year? Probably not, but it will get its share from a certain amount of people. And if they sell 100,000, 150,000, you know, pickup trucks a year, I'm pretty sure Tesla will make a decent uh, amount of money of that. But the cultural impact that this thing long-term can have, I'm not saying it will have, I'm saying it can have, will be much greater than the amount of cars that, they're, that they will be saying, uh, selling. Because this is for me the fundamental point, and I've had this conversation with someone yesterday, and I want to share this with, uh, with everybody as well. Um, this will allow companies such as Mercedes, BMW, the Volkswagen Group, you name them, Ford, whatever, to not just progress in little tiny steps, but it will open up the door and just like, you know, hey, we can maybe go bigger steps than we expected or that we were actually anticipating that we can go. So I don't think that everybody will copy this kind of rectangular style or whatever, because I think... um this is where then the, the the pure design quality comes in, making you know something very complex or very beautiful out of simple shapes. But generally speaking, just to open up these doors and show like, hey, we can do more stuff that is uh, you know that is challenging, and the people are willing to receive these kind of things in a positive manner. Uh, this is what I'm taking taking away from from this from 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 this from the Cybertruck. You know, um, I do understand all the criticism. I do understand that. You know, uh, do we need another? You know, uh, I don't know how many seven meter. You know, x amount of ton car based on a battery and stuff like that. Um, I'm 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 not willing to answer that question because everybody needs to decide that on their own and. As you mentioned, I mean, over here in Germany uh, or in Europe in particular, we don't see almost any pickup trucks. So it, it, the, it's just not the market here. Same goes for China. There's not a lot of them. So it is clearly like a very US or like, you know, in South America, there's quite a lot as well. But, you know, that kind of market-based product. And for that, it's probably going to work. But this cultural impact, similar to what the iPhone had, and this is why I brought it up earlier, you know, the kind of impact about touchscreens, about you know, bringing new technology, new kind of styles into the world. Um, and not everybody has accepted the iPhone. I mean, there's still a lot of other companies that have done things a little bit differently, but just opening it up, you know, and 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 getting us to think about that there's other opportunities that we can really dare 
uh, to bring forward. That's where I see the mo- that the biggest impact because, and this is what really, again, and I just want to put this out there. This is what annoys me. You know, a lot of the designers, they criticize it and appreciate it that someone comes out to help you to bring out new ideas, other ideas that you had um, to push them forward. I think decision makers will now start to listen to other ideas. It's not just about conservative, 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 because what Tesla shows over here is that there is a market for stuff out there that you probably didn't know. And we're trying to help you from a competition perspective to get into these markets as well. And if that means, and this is for me the point, the way that Elon Musk sees everything, if I can and I, as Elon Musk, make sure that we're selling more electric cars and have cleaner air and all these things, we're doing something good. If that is a small Model T or if that is a pickup, he doesn't care. So the greater kind of you know goal for him is that kind of clean air uh, that's going around it, uh, you know, the, the, the ecology behind it. Uh, I'm not saying everything that has a battery is great and I don't want to defend that at all. Uh, there's still problems in like how batteries are being made and stuff like that. But for him, the argument would probably be if you buy our pickup truck, it's fully electric. It is, you know, it, it is a Blade Runner style. And he put out a tweet where, you know, it had, I think, six hearts and Sid Meat on there because Sid Meat says like, hey, I love this thing. Um, it, it It is just something it's for a different kind of customer group as a Rivian is for, uh, for example. But the general idea for both is exactly the same. They want to make sure that there's no more ice engines, uh, you know, but, you know, all everything is going to be done on electric motors so that the environment is being safe through that. Again, that's not end of the story. I'm not saying that at all, but this is the thinking behind it. So for him, it's, you know, he understands, hey, pickups is one of the biggest markets. So we should go into that and clean that market literally from, you know, dirty air and make it into clean air. Uh, perhaps that's, that's definitely not what I'm getting. I'm getting ulterior motives off of the back where he's seen the fact that, you know, pickups are huge selling, um, the fact that there is a general white space, which needs to be targeted. Now, I don't think I would be, um, as, uh, as much, uh, against this vehicle, if it was smaller, I don't think I would be against it if it served more, you know, uh, if it was less, uh, um, uh, ostentatious, perhaps, and egoistic. Because if you think about the amount of people that travel around with single occupants on their way to work, imagine 20 Tesla Cybertrucks on the highway on the 405 in the fucking morning. Imagine that. Now, I don't know about, I don't know, you know, I don't think it's, it's very, you know, um, culturally, um, you know, uh, I don't, I don't think it's very, a very nice vehicle ultimately, you know, in terms of what it, um, what it conveys towards the outer, uh, you know, towards other people. I mean, look, the car is the single most impactful piece of design. We see this thing on the road all the time. It's like, you know, what I, it's again, it's, it's like the message. What does it say about you? It's like, I don't know, as a kid, you know, the reason why I got into automotive design and in to begin with is that, I would see cars, I grew up in New York City, and I would see cars driving around on the road that it said things about, you know, the person that was behind the wheel. It looked cool. Mm -hmm. I didn't care if the Lamborghini went zero to 60 in three seconds. It just said something about that user. Now, 
what the Cybertruck says, again, is not only a two-finger salute to the automotive design industry, but to the world. It's like, yeah, I can drive around in a in a big ass, you know, uh, truck and F you, you can't. So I, it's like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, again, you know, you mentioned, and I'm glad you brought that up as well. Battery technology is not like, you know, it's not all about like clean world and everything. It takes a hell of a lot of, uh, there's finite resources there. I mean, there's a hell of a lot in terms of creating that battery, those batteries. If you put them into a big truck, um, you know, how many batteries need to move around that amount of weight? You know what I mean? So it's not very efficient, in my opinion. Yes, in terms of like localized clean air, certainly. But the reason why, and, uh, you know, I think really, you know, chapeau at, at the starting price, whether or not they deliver it at that 40K starting mark is um, is going to happen remains to be seen. I remain skeptical. However, in in light of the design process that he chose to embark upon, which is, you know, um, you know, very much like no paint, um, you know, hard surfaces, just get it on there, forget about stamping the steel. I think all of that has, um, is, is valid, right? In terms of reducing costs, in terms of offering. But at the end of the day, Elon Musk doesn't give a toss about saving the planet. He cares about making money. He cares about making something that's successful, which is why, you know, if you can sell trucks or at least generate interest into wanting to buy a truck, we'll see what happens in two years or whatever when that truck hits the market in its uh, altered non-production or non-prototype form. However, uh, it's all about generating interest at a hundred pounds, a hundred dollars. Anybody can, I mean, you can p- drink that away in two hours at a bar with a couple of friends. Mm. Um, I don't, it's not much in terms of showing. Um, you know, commitment when you put down a hundred dollars. Um, it's about like, you know, yes, it, they've generated interest without a doubt. Um, uh, but again, it's the type of vehicle that they've chosen to do this with and the sheer size of it and all of that. I don't mind the angular aesthetic. It's again, it's something that is, you know, uh, a harnessing a type, just like fashion, it comes around, right? Harnessing a, an era in our, in our, um, existence that was, really quite interesting and appealing and different and, you know, futuristic. But I don't think that this solves many of the underlying issues. And, uh, you know, again, the iPhone, true, challenging upon initial reception, but this is not an iPhone. I don't think you can compare something like this. Again, if it was, if it was on a a vehicle, the, the size of, um, I don't know. Uh, okay. Uh, Chris Bangle Reds, I think that challenges a hell of a lot more. Um, and that is also more relevant in terms of what societal issues are. Is it as appealing in the eyes of others? No, it's seen as a weird vehicle, right? Yet people are jumping onto the Tesla truck, which ultimately, if you look at it and the weird roof line and all the rest, is kind of looking like Chris Bangle's Reds. Like, you know, what I, mean? <laughs> I do agree. I do agree on that one. That's a good point that you bring that up because uh, that's where you can see, obviously, that the, the, the certain kind of popularity of the brand is coming in. Yeah. Uh, Chris Bangle is obviously well known to the public, but it, you know, not anywhere close to what Tesla is mm. doing. So I think if the Chris Bangle car, for example, would have come out of Tesla, um, you know, that would have been a very interesting conversation to have, uh, mm-hmm. in that sense. Uh, and, and I do appreciate very much that you bring this up because, 
um, when when we had the podcast with Chris as well, and I can I can only recommend listening to to that if you have not done that yet, because he talks a lot about Project Red and he talks about you know how it was uh, a challenging project and everything. Um, but it is it is something that goes directly into this kind of new direction of we look at design differently. You know, functionality. We're talking about user experience and all these kind of things. Um, what I think about the Tesla is of course, and this is what I also mean about the cultural, uh, you know, the, 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 the kind of cultural impact that it has. When we talk about autonomy, we're talking about the digitalization that is coming, you know, the idea of not owning a car, but renting a car, leasing a car. Uh, what this car can be absolutely great for, and something that you have mentioned is that because it's, you know, it, painting that thing is going to be difficult because of just the material it's being made of. So you would have to like, you know, uh, put quite a lot of other stuff on it to really paint it in a different color. But generally speaking, let's just say like you could rent this car for a day. Um, doesn't really make a difference anymore. Like, you know, what color it has or whatever. It's just like, it's the same for everyone and all the time. So bringing it down to the absolute basics is of course in the end. And uh, the funny thing is there's no Tesla badges on there, at mm. least from what we have seen. Um, there was nothing that really mentions that this is a Tesla car or anything like that. Um, so it could actually like, you know, turn the whole thing upside down again and say, just like, Hey, we're going so back to basics that, um, you know, this could be a car. If you, if you want to rent it, if you want to have it here, if you want to have it there, um, you know, you just use one and it doesn't really matter what it says at mm. all. So you could see it from that kind of perspective as well. But I think, um, <laughs> you know, we could, we could probably discuss for another three, four, five hours uh, <laughs> about this car because it's, there's so much discussion material about this. But in general, I think, um, I want to say like, you know, as a, as a quick summary from my perspective, I like it. I, I like that it's different. I like that there's a big challenge into this. I like that they're giving the finger up to the car industry and say, just like, Hey, we think about this differently. I, I don't want to say I am, you know, down to the point where I believe that this is the, the solution for everything. It certainly is not, but from time to time, there is this impact needed. And I think now is the absolute right time because we have you know, also of, uh, also us, of course, uh, let's say complain quite a bit that there's, uh, not really any kind of development in car design. And that's why I really appreciate that something like a Tesla comes out, the Cybertruck comes out now and shows that there are other things out there, that there's other ways of thinking out there. And I hope, and this is my sincere kind of, you know, hope for this, that it will, engage other people to start thinking about things a little bit differently that there is you know a little uh, there's more courage to try new things from top level management because now they see that there is something else out there and there's something new out there and if tesla is going to go down but in the end you know this this has helped the entire industry to be more courageous I'm I'm probably going to be th more thankful than anything else because I don't want to see more boring SUVs. I don't want to see, you know, tiny little developments. I want to see a little bit more of like, you know, the 70s, 80s style where the people had the courage to try to do new things and bring stuff onto the street. And if Tesla, just because of that thing, can achieve that to kind of, you know, empower the entire industry, then I will be very, very thankful for them. Yeah, I mean, look, I, as I said before, I admire their, uh, you know, willingness to uh, challenge the status quo. Um, what, I, again, you know, 
I, I just don't, I don't think that you could compare this to a truck. You know, I don't think that is what they're trying to do is say we are as good as, if not better than the best selling um, vehicle that we know you guys love and that we're going to give you something that's different and that's, um, you know, uh, as, as good, if not better. Um, I think impact is the perfect word. This definitely put Tesla on the map if they weren't already. Um, this is a, a hugely, um, you know, polarizing vehicle to come out with. But again, um, you know, coming back to the manufacturing, it's all about saving time and cost in order to come out with something at a certain price point in order to generate a profit. Getting those panels right is going to be an absolute nightmare. And if ever, anybody tries to um, copy this, we're going to see just how awful it can perhaps be. Now, what I'm, what I think they should have done is said, we're not an F-150. We're a completely different vehicle. We're going to create this out of the lightest material ever. We're going to drape this entire thing out of aluminum. And yeah, it's going to dent perhaps. And maybe, you know, it's, it's going to, um, but it's, it's not a truck. It's not at all a competitor to an F-150. It's a completely new vehicle that is a lifestyle vehicle that is going to um, take you camping on the weekends if you choose to do so. And that to me would have been just fine. Um, but again, yeah, we're probably going to see a lot of copycats going in there and saying, hey, you know, let's challenge and do something great and, and courageous. And hopefully they do. But uh, hopefully it won't be on a, a 10,000 pound uh, pickup truck. Because again, <laughs> uh, you know, something that is this size and weight to me, um, you know, is is not the way forward. Uh, but again, the aesthetics, you know, the 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 the, you know, the, the totally angular, um, you know, uh, design direction, perhaps that Tesla may be going in, um, is, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's different and it could be well successful for them. As you mentioned, you know, they show they can do it with electricity. Now, maybe they're ready to disrupt in the design sense as well, uh, because up to now they have not. So anyway, um, we'll see, you know, uh, verdict's still, still out, uh, you know, once it comes to production, you know, uh, look, I want I want to see stuff that is um, out there. You know, I want to see something that is, um, you know, uh, breaking, uh, you know, of the of the status quo. All of that breeds creativity. You know, let's come at it from a different angle. Let's develop new solutions. Let's do something that's impactful. But to, let's also do something that's relevant. Let's do something that's not, you know, going to impact uh, the next generation negatively. Let's do something, you know. And so I think there's a lot of the ways that this could have changed and been, um, you know, uh, to be just more positive, essentially, um, as, a, as a future uh, mobility concept. So anyway, there we go. That's where I'm at. And um, that's, yeah, if you want to read more, of course, you know, go on to Form Trends. Um, there's Seymour Powell, um, Richard, um, what's his last name? Uh, Richard, uh, ah, damn it. Uh, he published something really very, very cool on LinkedIn which uh, I would definitely recommend reading because it's basically the other side of what it is that I've been discussing as well. Um, but uh, yeah, Richard Seal um, wrote something. So go and read his article as well, because he says, as you do, it could change car design forever. Whether or not that's a good thing, we shall see. But in any kind of case, uh, let us know about your opinion. We have now, I think, you know, 
<laughs> talked talked more than enough about this. So we we're happy to engage in more discussions about this. Uh, you know, we're happy to speak to more and more people about this as well. So let us know uh, if you if you if you want to have your say as well. We're happy to do that. And uh, yeah, so we hope you enjoyed this episode, which was heavily featured by the Cybertruck. So uh, <laughs> it did not just, you know, did not just uh, set the internet on fire, but obviously our podcast as well. But uh, Eric, uh, thanks as always for taking the time My to pleasure. do this. Thank you, Martin. It was always, and, uh, it was always uh, good yeah, so people can find you on at Form Trends pretty much on all the social media challenge. And uh, you could find us uh, at Concept House, literally at Concept House on Instagram and yeah. on Twitter and all these kind of things. And uh, yeah, until then, uh, thank you very much for listening. And you will hear from us very soon. Thanks, guys. Take Cheers. care.